it's not what you've got, it's how you use it. A little bit of knowledge can be a dangerous thing. Wisdom is power, or uh, knowledge is power, I should say. And uh, anyway, I can't think of any other things to say about the effectiveness of being smart and efficient in your actions over uh, the idea of just using brute force to get what you want, uh, whether that's out of your environment or out of people around you. Um, anyway, that's all I have to say for this uh, kind of kludgy intro. This is MJ. Uh, welcome to MJ Loves Toku. I am here to talk about another episode of Common Rider Zero One. This time we'll be talking about episode three, which sees the debut of um, uh, becoming Common <laughs> Rider. I don't even know what her name is. is she she's not Common Rider Valkyrie. Common Rider Cheetah. I don't know the Cheetah Lady. So I just checked. Yaiba Yua does become Common Rider Valkyrie. I know why I didn't remember that because it doesn't make any sense um <laughs> you've got the other guy who becomes so the isamu becomes uh vulcan vulcan and valkyrie okay i i just figured vulcan because of the shooting thing but i didn't really give it much more thought so i'll have to think about that later on but uh on to my 10 minutes or less review of this episode uh, i liked it overall it felt like it was simultaneously addressing some issues that were brought up last time and setting up things for the future. Uh, once again, I want to state the effectiveness of the, uh, the whatever, Mitsubishi.net guys, um, how they're victimizing their uh, AI, the, uh, the Humagear. And uh, I picked up on something this time that they call the evil ones, just Magear. Um, I don't know... I'm looking at different subs, but I'm hearing it differently, too. I am hearing Muggier, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, almost as if to say they're, uh, you know, malignant or something like that. Um, malefic, you know, to, to imply evil, at least from, you know, English or, uh, you know, Latin-rooted languages. But anyway, um, I appreciate that. Well, that poor car over there, I don't know what's wrong with it. Anyway, um, the... Uh, so, I, I liked that. Um, I liked the idea that the Humagear can be saved. Sort of. Um, Yuba ends up telling... Um, or... Y yeah, Yaiba. Yaiba Yuba. Dang, man, that, that name. Anyway, she ends up telling... Um, what's his face? Aruto. That the Humagear can be saved by backing up all their data. And that's an interesting thing, you know, people are thinking about backing themselves up, uh, uploading their brains to machines, and extending their lives, you know, indefinitely. And uh, I think, well, the question of what is a human versus what is a artificial intelligence, and, you know, can a machine have a soul? Uh, that's brought up and discussed in this episode. And it kind of, uh, Aruto clearly thinks that they have souls. And he wonders why he's the only person who can see that. And, of course, you know, doesn't mean he's the only person in society. It just means he's the only person among his circle who can see that. Which, now that I, I mention uh, his sphere, does this guy know anybody out of uh, Hedon Industries? That seems really weird that he doesn't seem to know anybody else. Doesn't seem to have any other friends or family. 
uh, any other acquaintances or associates. Uh, that all seems very strange. Um, anyway, I, I have a, a larger point I want to focus on, so I'm just going to quickly talk about the fact that I like the, uh, the squid mug ear. Uh, I like how it was more uh, detailed than the previous ones we've seen. Yeah, I think this is probably the most detailed of them all. I guess it's about equivalent to the Mantis. The Mantis in episode one was the only Magir we saw. This one was the uh, main Magir. The others were the uh, like corrupted Humagirs. And then in episode two, we had the bat and whatever the uh, heck that other thing was. But we had two of them, so the looked like less work was put into them or they were simpler. But this, uh, this squid one, they put a lot of detail in. There were some cool angles that were uh, shown in the fight. Uh, it seems like they're doing some different things with the directing, um, really mixing up the fight choreography and how it's shot and shown and things like that. So I appreciate all that. That's all good stuff. Um, but the larger thing that I wanted to talk about, the thing that was more interesting to me in this episode was uh, um, Yua. I guess I'll just call her that. Um, she uh, isn't like Isamu. She uh, is not unhinged and wanting to destroy all human gear. She sees them as tools, as tools only, and her approach to things seems to be one of calm, cool rationale, almost as if she's inhuman. Uh, she's a little Spock-like, I guess you could say, and she wants to, uh, use tools efficiently, and, uh, the human gear going out of control to her is kind of like a, I don't know, a machine, I don't know how many of you work with tools, you know, power tools or something like that, it's like a, like a, you know, motor going bad on something, or, you know, if you're using a cutting wheel or an abrasive wheel, like that, you know, chipping and, you know, the fragments can fly everywhere and cut things and cause injury, but really, it's the users who are at fault, it's the humans uh, who have to decide how the, uh, how they relate to the human gear by, you know, enacting, acting properly around them, and, you know, protecting themselves, and gosh, it's a really interesting nuanced thing, because while she says all that, she still treats them as if they're replaceable tools, and we see, I think his name is Igoro, is the, uh, the sushi humagir, and he ends up getting destroyed by her, because he blends into the crowd. I also find it interesting that when the humagir are corrupted, they basically, um, become faceless. They all look exactly the same, and, I mean, that makes them utterly dehumanized. They literally lose their uh, human faces and uh, become a part of a collective. And um, there's no distinction among them. Now, uh, I can hear a part of me saying, oh, that's like, kind of like, uh, would that be jingoism? I'm not sure, but that's kind of like racism. Like, oh, this one people group all looks alike. No, if you know them, there's subtle differences. And maybe among the human gear, they can recognize each other, but maybe they have some sort of, you know, heads of display that makes clear who they are to each other or something like that, which I think would be interesting. But like from a just visual uh, standpoint, because we are, you know, human animals to some extent and our psychology can be, um, can be, you know, boiled down to, you know, kind of a monkey see, monkey do type thing. Uh, I think the visual storytelling, the representation of Igru getting lost, if that was his name, the sushi guy, getting lost in the crowd um, and becoming, you know, faceless. And literally their faces get covered with, they have like a wild, crazy face, um, a vicious face, and then that even gets covered with armor 
further diminishing the distinctions uh, you can see because there's no expression on those, you know, Magir faces and, or Magir Mook faces. And gosh, I think that's really interesting. Um, so uh, that has to do with uh, U.S. seeing them as just tools and that kind of contrasts with, or that clearly contrasts with Aruto seeing them as having heart and soul and um, you know, him feeling alone and seeing that. But it's interesting, uh, again, because I think the truth is somewhere in the middle there, uh, potentially, because the uh, Mitsubishi.net guys, the, the cyber terrorists, I'll just say, um, they uh, only go and attack and victimize and use uh, Humagir who have awakened. So, and I, I think in, uh, well, Igoro, we didn't really get to see. It's interesting to me, too, from a writing perspective, that they chose not to have Igoro or the sushi uh, Humagir uh, be the one who was infected and affected. Um, he wasn't close to awakening, close enough to awakening, I guess, but this barber one who we know nothing about and saw uh, nothing of, uh, was affected, and that's kind of bizarre to me, um, yeah, qu quick closing thoughts as I'm approaching my last minute or so, uh, of this review is that, uh, I wonder if Izu's gonna be in danger of awakening and being attacked by the cyber terrorist because she's so human, we see her in the OP crying, um, but I would assume that close contact with humans is going to increase the evolution, the singularity, the awakening of Humagir, um, and that over time they just all become more human, or at least, you know, seemingly. Their machine learning would cause them to seem to be more human. You know, I critiqued one aspect of the writing, but one thing I'll praise is that uh, there are, in like the workshop or whatever, extra Humagir bodies that look kind of differentiated, like those might turn into the other armors for, you know, future common Riders that we're going to see, and that seems interesting to me. Also, it's funny that Ames doesn't see that the Humagear, uh, that their common Rider armors look like Humagear with something extra <laughs> added on top of them, and anyway, I'm sure that's a thing that'll come up later, um, but it's interesting to me that they're kind of, the show, like, it's not greatly written, but there are, like, little seeds and, and little things planted throughout, or sprinkled throughout that kind of tell you the story of what's going on just by what you see as opposed to, um, you know, the dialogue and action and everything. And we're only three episodes in, so who knows how that'll, how that'll shake out. And then also this, like, robo-apocalypse, I'm calling it, um, that we see in the OP where there's everybody's uh, drivers uh, in the rain, collapsed, and there's ruin, and there's, you know, dead Humagear bodies and stuff all strewn about is mm, kind of creepy. And, um, you know, despite the fact that the shows had a comedic tone, uh, I think that won't always hold true, and that's a little more interesting to me, so anyway, we'll see where it goes, but I've gone over my time limit, so I'm going to go ahead and stop. Uh, check out mgmunios.com for more of my work. I'm currently reviewing Spider-Man comics and writing original fiction you can find there. I'm also participating in Tokutember, making tokusatsu-inspired art for the month of September. I'm an aspiring author who will gladly accept your financial support through coffee. MJ Loves Toku can be found on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and mgmunios.com slash mjlt. Uh, relevant links are in the show notes. If you had a good time, like and share this. Subscribe and ring that bell to keep up with the latest in my quest to watch all Toku. Check out my Ultraman show, Going Ultra, and my other channel, uh, Swing Through Comics, which I mentioned already, um, and where I review, you guessed it, comic books. That's all, folks. I'm going to check out of here. And remember, 
You don't have to yell henchin' to be a hero.